Hey everybody, what's up? It's Trent McClellan with uh, episode 56 of the Generators Podcast. Uh, welcome back. And I uh, hope you're having a fantastic week there out in the world. Uh, I am here in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, Earth. Um, and i uh, got a great episode lined up for you this week. And uh, yeah, glad to be back in the... Uh, in the, in the swing of things now, 22 is in full gear, and we are going to have our season premiere. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, October 6th, it's tonight on CBC. Tuesday, October 6th, our season premiere. Um, and I think this is season 28 we're going into. I haven't been there for 28 years. I'm going into my fourth season, but the show, 28 years on the on the on the network that's insane what other tv show is is run that long i don't know i don't even i don't know of any i mean saturday night live has been on tv for a long time no doubt um don't know how many years that's been but uh yeah pretty crazy 28 years now so anyway uh yeah season premiere is october 6th it's tuesday um, check it out if you can, PVR if you need to. Um, we had a fantastic couple of weeks making sketches. I think I realized on Friday uh, that I'd been in 12 sketches in two weeks. Uh, so a ton of different looks, a ton of different scenes. We actually made a music video last week, which I think is going to be pretty funny once folks see it. Um, and uh, yeah, we put a lot of work in already. So hopefully you can tune in on Tuesday and get a few laughs and see our... Uh, our take on the uh, on the world right now and what's going on. So um, so check it out if you can. Uh, I had a fantastic week. Like I said, we worked hard on the show and did that. But then this weekend, my uh, lovely aunt Marion is in town, and so uh, myself and her and her daughter Lisa, my cousin, we uh, we went on down the old coast there here in Nova Scotia. Went down to Mahone Bay and Lunenburg, and. Um, I'll tell you, that is one of my favorite places in the country. If you've never been down that way here in Nova Scotia, get yourself down to Lunenburg and Mahone Bay. Gorgeous. Right on the water, like going back in time in a lot of ways, you know, old, old houses, little coffee shops and little restaurants and stuff right on the ocean, around the water, and uh, fantastic. Was a little bit disappointed, not going to lie to you. Mahone Bay is known for a big scarecrow festival that they do every year where they just do you know tons and tons of scarecrows and make them up in all these crazy ways and get real creative with it but this year they didn't do it i'm assuming because of the old uh the old c word and uh c word 19 and uh you know so that was disappointing because i look forward to sliding down there every every fall and kind of checking that out it's always fun to do but uh so a lot less people around which obviously makes you feel a little bit safer i guess and uh but a lady, a local lady there told me that uh, they'll be back next year bigger and better than ever. I mean, you can come up with some pretty amazing scarecrow ideas when you've had, you know, 18 months to figure it out. Like, I'm expecting some insane looking scarecrows next year. We're talking robots. I'm thinking maybe uh, sea life, you know, dolphin type scarecrows, uh, whales. I don't know. They probably already do a lobster one down there. I don't know. But I'm expecting it to be, uh, you know, out of this world next year down at the old Scarecrow Fest. And yes, that is the age I'm at right now where I am going to actual Scarecrow Festivals and actually looking forward to it. So I think last week was the Scented Candle. And uh, yeah, I'm also into uh, random community festivals. So that's that's a thing that's going on in the world. Um, you don't judge me. You just get on board and you also participate. So uh 
So great weekend to get down there and relaxing. And every time I get down to the coast, or also the same thing when I go to the mountains, I don't know what it is. Something about the air, sea air, mountain air. I don't know what it is, but I sleep like a baby when I go home. It is like a drug that just knocks me out. And that's exactly what happened. Came back. I was a little tired, but here's what I do. You tell me if there's any justice in this. So we had fish and chips down there in my home, in my home bay, yeah, a place called, um, um, oh, what's it called? I got to look this up because it was, I, 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 I got to look it up because the place deserves a shout out because they do really, really good fish and chips there. Um, oh my cod, that's the name of it. Oh my cod in Mahone Bay, really good fish and chips, great service. Check it out, just a little fish and chips place. So we go there, great feed, awesome. Drive back, it's about an hour. Drive back to Halifax, I'm feeling a little tired, you know. But I thought, you know what, maybe I should go for a run. You know, I haven't worked out in a couple days, you know, been slacking a little bit. I'm gonna go for a run. So I put on my running gear, figure I'll go for a little 20 minute, 30 minute run. Get out, I don't know. 10 minutes in, 15 minutes in, stringing the old calf muscle, you know? I'm like, that's what I get, really? That's what I get for trying to keep myself fit and healthy, you know? I, yeah, okay, I just had fish and chips, but maybe that's what it was. Maybe the old fee and chi there is like, no, no, we don't train after we do this. We don't exercise and do cardiovascular activity after you just had two pieces of cod deep fried with french fries and gravy. What are you? the hell are you trying to do right now? And I think my calf rejected it. My calf rejected exercise. I don't know if that's a thing in the world. If calf muscles are known to reject certain types of exercise after they've received uh, nourishment from fish and chips. I don't know. I don't know if there's a study out there done by somebody. If there is, can you forward it to me? I wouldn't mind reading it. And maybe I should have read it before I put on the old sneaks there and tried to go for a run. So anyway, I had to walk back the rest of the way like a loser, just, uh, okay, really defeated, you know, with a calf and a half. Anyway, that was it. So that was the end of that. But uh, yeah, anyway, great weekend down there. Really enjoyed it. And now excited to, uh, to record our first show on Monday night. We're recording on Monday and the country will see it on Tuesday. Um, so yeah, check it out if you can. October 6th, Tuesday, CBC. All right, time to set up this episode. Now, this uh, chat was done um, a number of weeks ago, and my guest this week is the fabulous Sophie Buttle. She's a hilarious comedian and writer on our show, 22 Minutes. This year, she's working remotely from, uh, from Vancouver, where she lives, and uh, she is the first ever female winner, uh, Juno winner, of the Comedy Album of the Year. So, I mean, this girl... I mean, talking royalty, basically, is what you're talking about. And uh, we get into that, about her, you know, uh, winning the Juno and, and what that meant to her. We get into what she's been up to uh, since comedy stages are uh, a little scarce right now and hard to come by. Um, she gives me a little update of what she was up to over the first few months of lockdown and uh, quite honestly uh, embarrasses me in terms of what her her productivity level was at compared to what I was doing. So I, I you know, I got to get my, I got to start bringing my A game because it was embarrassing once she told me what she'd, she'd been up to. So um, yeah, she's fantastic. And I, we get into it a little bit in the podcast itself and the interview, but I would have first met Sophie years and years and years ago back in Ottawa 
uh, at Absolute Comedy. She was a teenager at the time. I think she says she was like 16 maybe and uh, had gotten special permission to just come into the comedy club and do her set and then she'd have to leave right away. And I remember thinking, man, look at this kid just like getting up there with confidence and doing her thing. And then, you know, all these years later, she's, you know, got on to win a, a Juno Award and, you know, go on to do all the comedy festivals um, just for laughs. Um, you know, all all the major festivals and then is, is open for some major names, some really, really big names as well. And uh, and now is a, a great writer on our show. So she's she's had a crazy successful career in a little over 10 years i think she's been doing it so uh anyways great to catch up with her and uh now you get to listen to my chat with sophie bottle sophie bottle joins me from vancouver how is the weather in vancouver currently out there um, today it is an absolutely iconic, rainy, overcast Vancouver day. So I have got a little light here because it is a dark. And I actually like. I mean, I'm I'm very partial to to the rain now at this point because I'm such a little Vancouver hoe of my yoga <laughs> <laughs> of my yoga where Arteryx. That's right. That's <laughs> so, right. So it's been like a pretty nice hot summer, and I've been. Just like all the locals complaining, oh, now I miss the rain. A lot of that. What? Why? It's coming. Don't worry about it. Just, just as you were. Just blink and it's back. <laughs> I miss the rain. No one in Vancouver should ever have that utter out of their mouth, ever. I miss the rain. It's like to complain. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because um, a good friend of mine from Newfoundland lived in Vancouver for many years, and he thought that folks on the east coast of the country may have an easier time in vancouver because they are so used to long periods of rain and just overcast and he said whereas people from maybe ontario or from alberta where there's a ton of sunny days it may be a little harder on the head i don't know what you think about that theory yeah i mean i'm from ontario and you definitely like even when it's like the the horrible cold winters at least it's really sunny so you do get a lot of sun during the winter so yeah. a lot of people here have those depression lamps that give you like some sunshine they don't really do anything but they're 80 dollars, so they do something wow that's crazy i think i think that's a horrible name for it like let's <laughs> this lamp will give you depression turn it on and instantly just <laughs> in the I dump. mean, spending 80 dollars on, on garbage gives me depression <laughs> that gives me depression too yeah like or i could yeah. open a blind i think i'll do that for free <laughs> it's absolutely free to open the I blind I smell a sketch for this season. We're already writing. We're already writing here <laughs> ad hoc. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so how are you doing overall with this whole, I know it's probably a topic you've, we've all talked about a ton, but have you, because I'll just, to be totally transparent with myself, like when the new world arrived and I kind of wasn't expecting it, I I was really lost for the first few weeks. Like I was like, I don't know how to navigate this and anxiety through the roof and stuff. And then I kind of settled into a bit of a pocket and was like, okay, I have to embrace this and accept this. And as things gradually opened up, I felt like I was kind of getting back to what I was before a little bit, but I don't think I'll ever be the same. And I don't know. How are you, how has your evolution been through this whole time? Yeah, I think pretty similar. Like it's been so long. It's been so many months that I've been through multiple phases and, you know, activities and interests, like it really makes you realize how 
people in jail and like solitary confinement that you just can't even keep track of the days. And like, we have, you know, we can order whatever food we want. We can watch whatever we want. And it's still like, you're like, what, it's Tuesday. I just like, like time just flies by. There are days that I would have not done anything. And then I went through waves of waves of like definitely high motivation. Some would call it manic, whatever you want to call it. Right. Is of like writing, cleaning and working out and, you know, just like, just really being on top of my shit. And then, you know, definitely weeks would go by and I'm like, oh my God, it's already this season. So yeah. I've, because it's been like basically what, six months, like that's half a year where I've, I've feel that I've changed a lot and also reverted back. Like I've also like, I've been through so many weight fluctuations too. Like I kept like at the beginning of quarantine, I was like, fuck yeah, I got nothing but time working out every day. I'm like, abs could blow everyone's mind when we're out in the real world. And then after like a couple months, I was like, okay, well, I'm never going to see anybody again. So this is pointless. So it's my time. And then now I'm back. I'm like, oh, trying to get that summer bot again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. It's uh, I think you're right though. Like a little bit of structure helped me because I also felt an abundance of free time, which is great. I think, especially after a long season with 22, but then I was like, okay, well, I need to have some goals every day. I need to have some purpose to get out of bed every day. And then what it made me think about was people who go into retirement is like, this is what it's like? Like, do you just get up and like, I don't have to be anywhere at any point. And I'm like, that terrified me too. So that just caused more anxiety about the future in general. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny. As soon as people retire, they start waking up at 6 a.m. too. They're like, better get my day started. Better start shuffling around the house now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, I think, too, like I've had family members who have retired from different occupations. And I think one of the things they don't think about, like they think about not going to work anymore. And that's obviously very alluring. But I don't know if they think about what they're going to do when they're not going to work every single day. So you're just left with this abundance of time. You also realize that a lot of your social network was through your work. And so you're like, I haven't talked to anybody in five days. I don't even know if I, I could fall down to my apartment and nobody would know for years. Like, just, <laughs> like, you know. Do you live with your girlfriend there? Do you like, have you had somebody with you? No, no. So it's been, it's been me and, and you know, the dog on, on and off. And so then it's like, which was great. I think a dog should actually have been dispensed to every single home. (laughs) (laughs) Serve payments and a dog dropped off at your house. Just like here, this is going to help you through the times. The dog has no idea what's going on. So just, just follow his lead. And, um, (laughs) it's just like, isn't everything great? You're like, no, but I I like what you're trying to bring here. Um, so like, can we go outside and see my friends? Definitely not. I'm going to play a video for you of a dog park on my on my laptop. It'll be just like being there, bud. And uh, so, but it was like, just the small things I think you held on to. I don't know if you did this too. Like, I just put everything under a microscope in my life. Like, I was like, the podcast and like what I'm doing on social media and like 22 and my stand up and just life where I'm living. Like, I really had a pause. Yeah, like I was like, what am I, what is, what, what is a Trent McClellan? <laughs> and what, what does it mean in the world? But I, I did have to get to that point of like, maybe this has all happened for some larger reason of like, hey, like stop moving a thousand miles an hour and just stop and really think about your life. I don't know if you had that moment at all. 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely did. Like, I've been doing stand-up for almost 11 years now, and I've never gone more than a week without doing a show. And I took off, like, five months, like, five and a half months or something of doing stand-up. And it's, like, really crazy. I kept finding myself having so much energy at night, just, like, so much adrenaline at, like, 9 p.m. Just because <laughs> my body's so used to that. Like, this is the time to perform. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was, like, slightly productive. Like, I've been trying to write a pilot for for you know a year but it's hard when you're like writing at 22 minutes all the time to do like also writing for fun on the weekends like like because I'm also doing stand-up while I'm out there so it's like it's hard to find the the brain energy to do that so I finished my pilot Mace and I wrote a pilot which you know overall it's pretty productive but you know with all the outlining and stuff writing the actual thing only takes like a day so I, yeah, I have like something to hold on to that I've accomplished, but day to day, I'm not doing a lot. And, you know, as far as like putting everything under a microscope, like I was already going to therapy. So we were already working on that. Right. Um, but <laughs> I, you know, it definitely has made me aware because well, I was also planning on moving to the States after this past season, but they're just like absolutely not handling their business right now. So I'm not going to yeah. go down. <clears throat> yeah. I, I feel like I'm like, like, cause I'm still optimistic about going at some point, but I feel like I'm like those kids like jumping into the double Dutch, but it's like it's on fire. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's actually 25 skipping ropes and they're all on fire with <laughs> knives on them. Like a one went down when you're ready. Anytime, Sophie, anytime you're ready. Win it. Just, yep. Just jump on in anytime. And you're like, I, I can't really, I, I, yeah. I can't. that's, that's not the one. I, what, you know what? Is that going a little fast? Is that kind of, um, all the kids are holding guns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're like, I don't know if this is a game I want to play. Is this how you guys play it down here in America? I don't like this. <laughs> Game very much. Yeah, uh, in Canada. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mentioned therapy because, like, I went to see my counselor a bunch of times too, and I was like, um, kind of really embraced mindfulness and stuff maybe over the last five years. And like, it's an everyday thing you have to kind of stay at. It's not like you get to a point and just, well, that's it. I'm now mindful for the rest of my life. Like, you have that. <laughs> <laughs> I did a session once, and look at me now. I, you know, like it's an everyday <laughs> practice. Yeah, exactly. Unmindful. <laughs> exactly. Or you just write that, you just quote that thing on social media and then somehow that means now that you are mindful, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was a funny thing I thought about after, like, I'm glad I'd started that journey five years ago as opposed to getting to a time of crisis now and now, like, you know, like, feel like you're drowning and scrambling. Like, I was able to go to that, those tools to help me kind of through this. And so someone described that as kind of being like, um, you want to run a marathon. It's like, you don't just go at the door and run a marathon, Like you have to train so that when the marathon arrives, you're ready for it. And I feel like I was kind of really grateful that I'd done all that other previous work so that when this thing hit the fan, I was like, okay, like, yeah, this is crazy, but I feel like I have some tools in my belt to kind of navigate through. And, uh, so I don't know how you felt with that. Like, did you feel like it, did it heighten stuff for you and kind of go like, ah, oh, this is a real freak out moment or were you able to kind of go back on your previous sessions and stuff and kind of help you through it? Well, like for me, I really, I really like spending time at home and I, I miss my apartment always so much when I'm out at 22 minutes. So definitely at the beginning, even maybe for the first two months, I was just like enjoying my time in my place, back with all my stuff. And I, um, like I really, um 
I, I, I'm, I'm, it's not that I was like thankful that I was working on mental like mindfulness stuff, but I was just so thankful that I had a job that made it so that I don't have to like be out in the public anymore because literally before 22 minutes, I was like working in a kitchen and then Starbucks and like, like 22 minutes was really my first big girl job. Yeah. And like the way that it's like timed out in the year too, is like, you know, I make most of my income during that season. And then it's been, you know, off season, basically all of quarantine. So this is the time that I usually, you know, rest up and don't make any money anyway. So like, I just like, if it, if it was two years ago, like I would have COVID hundred percent. Like I would just be, you know, out in public on the bus, getting coughed on in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think will be the name of your next special getting coughed on in my mouth live in concert <laughs> Sophie yeah. um i want to talk about stand-up for a second because you when I, I listened to an interview with uh nikki glazer a little while ago on a podcast and she said it was kind of enlightening to her like not doing shows that she realized she doesn't really need it like that she she'd like to host late night television anyway and so she doesn't feel like she needs it as some kind of form of like stand up as some form of therapy or I got to have it. It's like this drug that I'm chasing all the time. And I think that was a little bit surprising to her. Like, how have you felt about not doing stand up? Like, how has it how has it affected you or has it or have you just enjoyed not having to get on stage every mm-hmm. night? Um, I enjoyed it a little bit for a period, but I, I love stand up so much. And like, I think I just like grow to love it more every day. I fall, fall more in love with stand up every day. It's, it's just really important to choose stand up every day, you know? Yeah, just yeah. Like your soul. <laughs> but I just like, I, I truly love it. Like, I've been doing it since I was like, you know, 15. So it's kind of been the only constant in my life ever. And yeah, I just like truly love the art form, you know, if you want to call it that. And I really miss the rhythm of it and, and, and the environment, like going and like seeing your friends and then, you, you know, right before you set you think about all your stuff and and then you know you go up and you bomb and then you come back and you're like ah it was a good good try you know (laughs) yeah like like the ups and downs of it is just like like i think stand up i definitely realized i can not do it like going this long it's like okay well i'll just you know live a normal life that's fine but if it's an option i think that i'll always do it i can't see myself not because i'm i'm like a real night owl too so to be able to you know, capitalize on night energy makes, makes you feel really good when it's like, it goes with your, I mean, maybe I've just trained my body to be a night owl from doing stand up for so long, but to, to have, um, like one thing that, so I read a book about, um, self motivation, like how to like motivate yourself to like finish projects and that kind of thing. I mean, I didn't finish it because, you know, <laughs> not really that good at self motivation, but got, got the gist like, of it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I skipped it. It was fine. Um, and one of the things, one of the really good pieces of advice is to kind of monitor your natural body's energy like throughout the day. So like finding out when you usually have the most energy, finding out when you usually have the least energy and planning your day around that so that you're not like fighting against your body with like, you know, coffee and then booze or naps or like whatever it is. And like, for me, I just always have energy at night. So like, of course, to be performing at night, it's perfect. And I really like, I like, it just feels right when it's like going with your, your body's natural rhythm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I th- Cause I think 
we were all traditionally just thrown into the nine to five thing. This is when you work and these are the working hours and this is when you need to be productive. And then you realize some people are just not wired that way at all. So, so, and I think if you're a stand up and you find that career, you then realize like, oh, this is why this works for me. Cause it actually matches up with my natural rhythm of behaving and acting and everything else was going upstream. Like me trying to force something that wasn't there. And then you realize, oh. So when I, I went back as a laugh shop here in Calgary had shows, I guess they started maybe in June perhaps with social distancing and stuff. And I did the first weekend and I remember going on stage that first night. I'm like, how do I do this again? And like, what do I talk about? And, and then by the second show, it felt like I'd never left. It was so weird how quickly it kind of comes back to you again. And, and uh, have you done any shows at all? Like whether it's like online stuff or have you done any in kind of person? What's been, what have you been doing? Um, yeah, I've done like, I think three shows now just this past week or two, um, all with social distancing, mic covers, like the whole, the whole everything. And yeah, it was the same for me. Like the first one, I was really nervous and I was like pacing outside, like like right back in my open mic days. Like, you know, when you're like, yeah, you got one shot, you know, you're singing yeah. it. <laughs> absolute comedy. Um, like you're like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I hear that song, I still get anxiety. They started it absolutely. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I and like the first show was like kind of bad, but the audience was kind of bad. And I was like kind of proud of myself afterwards for being so nervous going back into it but still like knowing that it was the audience's fault like i was like yeah it's still me you know <laughs> yeah. still, still the block. <laughs> and then like the other shows i felt really good and i i was really worried because i felt like i didn't have any new stuff but then i you know looked back and realized that i do have a bunch of ideas to to work on like this is one thing that i haven't tried on stage yet that i think is really funny maybe i can just tell you it's not like a joke yet Fire. but my dad always my dad always brags about like that he played Barbies with me when I was little. Like for him, he's just like, yeah, like, you know, star dad played Barbies with her. But I remember getting so frustrated with him when we would play Barbies because he wouldn't follow the storyline, like the narrative that I had been building with these Barbies. And I remember like one time he was being the boy Barbie and I was being the girl. And I remember him being like, oh, maybe actually we should just be friends. And I was like, dad, like they have a highly sexual relationship. I've been building this up for months and you've just ruined all of my hard work. <laughs> I guess there's a lesson to never cast your dad in a Barbie production. It's just like, he's not cut, cut. What are we doing? What are we doing? Did you even read the script? I sent it to you a week ago. It's like you're out here just free, free, freelancing here. Let's take 15. You know what I'm talking about. Can we get, can we get one of the writers to go to his dressing room and make sure he reads his jokes, please? Uh -huh. You know, you know, Ken's backstory, right? You know what this. This is unbelievable. We're just wasting time here. We're losing light. We're losing light. Uh, <laughs> that is so funny. That is so funny that you just couldn't. I remember that because I was a kid who grew up with like G.I. Joes. And so people wouldn't even know if I was in the room because I would be like in my own G.I. Joe world. And like they all had backstories. And I was like, yes, it's just whatever. And then someone else, you're right, would come along and try and go, oh, I like G.I. Joes and they're doing this. I'm like, what the fuck? What are you? Yeah, no finesse. They have no... <laughs> He doesn't, he doesn't have a jetpack on. He can't just fly around. He's got to walk across. What are you, a psychopath? Are you some kind of psych? You know what? Get over there. Like I, was, I was very reg very regimented. Like, this is how I play. And I don't need you coming in with your free ideas and you're flying around. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, me too. 
think yeah. that's like really what the key is it's like because these were our friends like we didn't i didn't have a brother like you know yeah this was me and my buddies we're hanging out my dad comes in fucking knocking stuff over <laughs> oh yeah let's, let's not be naked and smashed together and i'm like oh god you're embarrassing me. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny like a lot of your do you feel like a lot of your personality is based off of being an only child because i feel like very um like typical only child yeah, I think I got lost in my imagination quite a bit. Like I went inside my head a lot because of that, because you just don't have that other sibling to kind of interact with and play with. But I don't necessarily think that was a bad thing. And then no. then getting back to therapy, this is an interesting point. I want to hear your thoughts on this. My therapist said, he said, uh, he said, your ability to take life events, like two dots between a life event and another life event, and you fill in the blank with your creativity in terms of why that happened and whatever. He goes, that's amazing for creativity. And so for your job, it's amazing. In your personal life, it's not a great thing because you start, you start, <laughs> you start writing these narratives that might not necessarily exist, but they make sense to you to try and explain a certain act or a certain behavior or what someone else has done. And he goes, you have to be really careful because the kid in you is the person who does all the imagination and connecting of the dots. But the adult in you has to go like, okay, well, what are the facts? And you got to stick to the facts. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. So I kind of always watch for that. So I don't know what your yeah. thoughts are on that, but. I mean, that's very interesting because like, I don't find that so much for me, but I think that is a very real thing for Mace. But you know, he has siblings, he has two older sisters, but the other, like when I was like out there, um, I found this note in his pocket that was so funny. Like he had gotten in a fight with his sister right? because like she was, telling him that he was like being too sensitive about something or taking something wrong. And then, you know, I heard about it obviously. And then later I found this note that he had written to himself that just says, Sage says that I'm overreacting, you know, like just like very factual. And I found it and it was just like so cute. And he was like, yeah, I was just trying to get down like the absolute facts, like yeah, to not, you know, let my imagination run away with this fight. Like to have like the absolute only things we know are these these things I wrote down, and like to me, it was, that was like the cutest thing I've ever seen. Like to just be like, yeah, I gotta write down my feelings. Like, yeah, like, you know, journal or something. <laughs> I just love it, and like I I don't ever do that, but it, I I'm more of like, do you know about um, avoidant and anxious attachment styles? Go right ahead. I'd like to learn more about this. Okay, so it's like it's usually in like romantic relationships. One person's usually anxious attachment style, one person's usually avoidant attachment style. And the way you can kind of tell which one you are is like if you're in a fight with your partner, um, there's usually, you know, one person that's like texting and calling a bunch, being like, let's work this out, let's talk about it. And, and there's often one person that's like, you know, just going to turn off their phone for a couple hours and, right. you know, yeah so i'm i'm avoidant i'm the one that's like you know put my phone away go for a walk like you know and then when i come back i just want to be like i'm over it are you over it let's never speak of it again and you know mace is definitely the one that's like let's talk about everything like maybe this is like related also to other things and like to me that's a nightmare but, but it's like it's good for for both to have each other yes <laughs> and yeah like almost almost every relationship in the world is those two people because they're so always drawn to each other. And it's like the key is to find someone that's kind of on the same, you know, level of the spectrum on the other side. Yeah, no, makes that's a good point. And I think what I've realized in the good relationships I've been in is that even if you have different styles, it's just kind of 
trying to create that framework that regardless of what happens, we're going to be all right. It's just that like, you're going to walk away and need some time. I might be the one who's like, no, let's talk about it right now. But you realize that if you get that and, or I get to talk about it right away, either way, we'll, we'll survive this, whatever this thing is. But it's when you're in relationships where you're like, I don't know, this could be it every single time. And you're like, that's just exhausting. And you're like, I, is this every week we're doing this? Is that what's happening? So, and then you oh, wonder, yeah, no, sure. go ahead. Like, oh yeah, no, just for us now, like now, finally after, you know, three, four years, like however long we've been dating now, like I'm able to communicate with that type of brain. So I can say like, we will talk about this later or like we will, I will call you tomorrow. And you know, he's like, we'll be uncomfortable until that happens, but knows that there's like an end line. So he's not, you know, Right. messaging me trying to get more stuff happening i have my time to do whatever it is my brain does to relax right and then we meet back up and we solve the problems yeah no it seems like a, it's a and if a system works for you a system works for you as a couple but i also feel like i guess some people term it as um giving giving space or giving room you know like where you have room to kind of blow it out or do whatever you need to do but again that framework is such that you're like okay but we'll we'll get through this and by tomorrow we'll have issued every like you know dealt with everything and we're fine but sometimes people don't want to give each other that room or space and the other person feels even more claustrophobic and like just yeah. get out of my space like just leave me alone for an hour like it's just yeah. no no let's talk about it sophie seriously like it's not a big deal it's like can you yeah. just give me a minute you know well, that's, so. that's the thing and like that's why like big fights happen to me so much in previous relationships because people wouldn't give me that like give me a moment to have space and then you get like very overwhelmed and then you're fighting in the street and then you're like i'm gonna kill myself and you know it just escalates and it doesn't mean to yeah 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 you're right yeah it's uh it's a weird oh, I think weird you're frozen. you're frozen too i don't know what's now we're all this is the new world and i don't know because i can see me moving there you oh, are oh. We're back. We ran out of cassette. Hey, welcome back to Trev McClellan's <laughs> The Generators Podcast. We do apologize for a quick commercial break here. Um, but I think also, too, you need to go through a few relationships. Like, I kind of feel bad for the person. Everyone has this person in their life probably who they had their high school sweetheart. They've dated the same person since grade 10. And then they end up marrying that person. And I wish those people the best. But I feel like you almost need a few spins through like with serious relationships to be, to learn about who you are, what your style is, what you like, what you don't like. And if you're only in one relationship your entire life, I don't think if you ever need get a chance to kind of grow and evolve and, and you also, you have nothing to compare it to. All you know is this relationship. And I guess this is good because you also don't know what other people's relationships are like in real life. You just see what they show you. So you have no idea of knowing, is this healthy? Is it not healthy? You know? Oh, yeah, totally. Like, like in my previous, I only have one like serious thing before Mace and like literally the amount of fighting in public, like the fighting in the streets was so dramatic. And like, I don't even think I could do it anymore. Like it used to be really my bread and butter is just causing an absolute scene in public. <laughs> and like, I don't even take joy in that anymore. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. I don't like Thank causing you. a scene on the bus anymore. That's the thing I don't like. And I'll be honest yeah. with you. Old Sophie, she did. She really enjoyed it a lot. Old Sophie, please. Like, you know how many people would stop and be like, are you okay? And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I've instigated this fight. I've started the whole thing. We actually have a script. We have a script. It's a Barbie's Barbie's thing we're trying to shoot. You're you're in the shot. Yeah. Um, No, but you're so right. I think uh, 
a counselor said to me once, he's like, when did you get this as your standard? And I went, <laughs> that's a great question. I don't know if I can actually tell you the day exactly. Uh, <laughs> but it was like, it's such a great question because it's like, you're choosing this. Like this dysfunction or whatever it is you're in, like, you know, you've decided this is your standard for a relationship or whatever. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I, I am driving the car. I, I thought I was just a passenger on this crazy bus, but it's turned out. <laughs> I can get off this bus anytime I want. Yeah. I saw this funny quote that was like, like <clears throat> most therapists' job, jobs are basically like they enter into the home that is like your head and look around and they're like, you're living like this. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great angle. Is that a dead cat? Is that, what are you? And you're That's... like, yes, do you not have a dead cat in your brain? Does, oh. Doesn't everyone have a dead cat in their brain? No. <laughs> what? Since when? Yeah, it's a great. That's a great well, I, analogy. I, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great analogy. And you're like, so for folks who don't know, you are dating fellow hilarious comedian and writer Mace Galoni, and Mace has been a previous guest on the podcast. And yeah, you know, I'm sure you would have heard maybe at some point in your stand comedy career that like, oh, never date another comedian, or oh, there's dangers to that. And I. I never dated another comedian like in in my life. It's just something that just didn't happen for me. But I almost now, because I've dated people that I call civilians who are, you know, not in the comedy <laughs> world, you know, normal people. And, yeah. um, and you realize there's challenges with that too, because this lifestyle is so unique and so different. And then more and more, I think, well, maybe it, if you had someone who's got a very similar career path, that it's, it's just easier. They just understand the ups and the downs and the anxiety and the uncertainty of it all. And, so, I mean, can you speak to that? Do you think that, that you know, obviously Mace is a great guy and all that stuff, and you need that too, but just the fact that there's someone who can commiserate with what you're going through on a day-to-day -day basis and what your life looks like in general. Would you say that's true? Yeah, totally. And, like, I've, like, dated comedians and dated civilians too, but, like, most of the civilians I've dated have been kind of comedy-adjacent. So, you know, like, have, like, be in the entertainment field or, you know, music or something. And I mean, the key, I think for me is like, I, I always want to just be with somebody that's creative because that's the, that's just the kind of energy that I like to be around. And I like, you know, I, I like to have a partner that I can collaborate on, on stuff with. And I think because I love stand-up comedy so much, it just really makes sense for me to date a comedian because I do want to talk about it. And I want, like, if I'm working on a joke, I want to like, you know, talk that out and, and, and stuff that I think only a comedian would really understand or someone that at some point at least has done comedy and like schedule wise too. Like I have friends that are comedians and dating non-comedians and you just have absolutely opposite schedules if you're both doing your, your own thing full time, which like I'm sure is pretty hard because you wanna, you wanna cross paths with your partner at some point and have some shared time. And yeah, I just like, I feel like it's different for everybody. I've definitely have been told my whole career, like, who don't date comedians. But it's like, I find when people say it to women, it's kind of weird because like when you're a new female comic, everyone's just like trying to hook up because there's not that many women, obviously. And it's all like, it's all men a lot of times who are not um, employed or charming at all. And so like, you know, they're in this environment where they, the only time in their life they feel cool is in comedy because they have these other guy friends that are also just like them. And, you know, it's a, like, in, it's in an environment where alcohol is involved and bars and they're performing. So they feel like hot shit and 
like it's just like a perfect storm for for you know if a woman steps into it to just get you know absolutely bombarded and i've seen it happen to every single female comic when they start and it's like pretty annoying and i don't think that the answer is to be like to say to women oh don't date comedians like it's just like don't date anybody that you wouldn't date if they were not comedians right. so you know and like one of the things that's really hard is like um people always ask why there's less women in stand-up and i think it's just like i think it's the same number of men and women who start but i think that men find that camaraderie and friends and really like the environment and they end up doing it longer than maybe they should or that they have given they've been given you know opportunities for and stuff and i think that women quit a lot sooner because you don't have like that friend like having having friendships i think is like really what keeps you going in the beginning years because you know you're all bad but you're all so into it so you want to talk about it and it, it's like really hard as a woman just because like the friendships are harder to create one of the reasons is like that everyone's trying to hook up mm-hmm. but but also just like yeah i, I guess all, I, all i'm saying is like if you have like another female friend or just like a absolutely like stand-up guy friend it's like makes it your life so much easier as a female stand-up yeah i agree i think no, you bring up some good points because i feel like i remember meeting you at absolute comedy when you like literally were just like coming in and doing guest spots and like how old you have been you would have been how old then like 15 16 yeah and i remember like look at this kid she's coming in here and she's like coming in you'd have like great sets i was like oh my god like where is she gonna be in like five years i'm like i gotta write some jokes like i was just shit <laughs> figured out no, no, i was so bad i was so bad when I lived in Ottawa. no but you had like kind of um you had like kind of um and like you had an energy about you to like get up there and, and want to do your thing and so i was just kind of sitting back and like yeah she just like keeps going on this path it's like what can she not do do you know what i mean but it's so weird because i've in my female comedian and now i'm writing for you <laughs> exactly i was like someday i will write a barbie sketch and she'll but uh i um and all my female comedian friends it's sad because they have echoed the same things that you have said where you know and the other stuff they've had to deal with in terms of uh you know, you're traveling with another, uh, like a male comedian, and they feel like mm-hmm. they can just give you advice on your set that you didn't ask for. <laughs> and it's like, uh, why would I, like, hey, the joke you do about uh, the couch there, I was thinking you could re, it's like, I don't, I don't need to hear this on a five hour drive to Thunder Bay, you know? <laughs> and I realized, like, I think you're right, it would just, it would just erode, like, just, it's like, a, it's like an emotional erosion, just over time. Yeah. It just waves hitting the shore, waves hitting the shore, and eventually you're like, is this the rest of my days in stand-up? Like, is there – and I found, too, like, just to further this point, I was so lucky that I was able to find a few, like, signposts of people that were really good people, hilarious people, but they are really good, just good people. And I was like, okay, well, okay, you can be somewhat normal in this world and still make a career out of it. But I think you're right. If you're a female coming in from the outside, you can't find those those anchors, then you feel completely alone, like, in every yeah. capacity. Yeah, totally. And, like, the, the explaining jokes and adding stuff, like, that never ends because it's, like, it's not about you and your jokes. It's about these people that – and, like, you know, these guys and their opinions of women and – like how they talk to women and they just like never learn. And now also you get like tweets from guys who are not even in comedy and they're like, you know what? I don't, I think you should quit. And you're like, 
shit. Like, okay, well then. Yeah, you know, thank you. I, I just found this really, I found this good. It's not like a me. It's just a picture that says like, oh, another opinion from a man with an unwashed ass. <laughs> and I don't know why it made me laugh so hard, but I've been, I've been, you know, shooting it off to a lot of reply guys. <laughs> <laughs> with an un, unwashed ass is such a funny term. I don't know why. Know. It's one of those things just like, yeah, that works. It just works. Yeah. Uh, it's so weird. There's a great, do you know who Brene Brown is? Have you read any of her stuff? She's got, um, so. she, she's out of the University of Texas and she's written a lot of books about, um, she studies like shame and vulnerability and those things. And so her books and talks are really, really cool. But one of the things she uses as a trick is that she only wants to hear the opinion of certain people. So she writes those people's name down on a small piece of paper. And if your name's not on that piece of paper, your opinion actually doesn't mean anything. So that's amazing. Yeah. So she's like, if you're not in the arena that I'm in doing what I'm doing, putting myself out there on a daily basis, I don't really care about your opinion about what I'm doing or how I'm doing it. And she said she had to kind of learn to get that level of of a thick skin, I guess, because she still wants to be vulnerable and be herself, but she also realized the arrows are going to come from, you know, everybody on the internet. So she had to kind of. Yeah. Well, yeah, totally. And it's also so weird in comedy because you can be like, I don't care what other people think as much as you want, but you do care so much what the audience thinks. And that's right. how you create your set is what's doing well with the audience. Like at least to, to most of the degree, like obviously there'll be a couple jokes that are more for you that don't hit as hard as, you know, your other stuff. But like we are in a position where we do need other people to like us and like what we're doing, but that doesn't mean we need to take you know individuals' criticisms. Yes, yeah, and I think you know female comedians have also talked about the fact that you know when you do start having some success in stand up or in you know in show business in general, entertainment, you want to feel you did it because you deserved it and you were it's on your own merit. It's not because well you're female or because I had to face the same stuff. Like people when I was in stand up, a comedian yeah, said, people "Well, were like well you're tall, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, they're like we need <laughs> is, do we have anyone over six foot? Send them to the festival." <laughs> Um, oh yeah, we needed a we needed a token tall person. Yeah, the token tall guy. Where we have a height yeah. a height quota, we're trying to meet here. And <laughs> everyone knows the old Canadian entertainment height quota. We're all very aware of that. Um, but it was like people would steal your joy because they were kind of like, oh well, they needed a, a someone who was diverse. They needed someone who was black. They needed someone. And I think women have suffered the same things where someone has implied that you didn't get something because of your merit, your talent, your ability, your work ethic. They're like, well, they needed to have a female on the show. And it's like mm -hmm. so. Even even the moments of joy sometimes were stolen from you because someone decided to just here's my here's my opinion of why you got that it's like and you are you know it's horrible yeah my my first kind of um cool thing that i got was homegrown at like just for laughs you know you get homegrown it's like a little rite of passage whatever and i remember i had just gotten it I had, it had been like one day and i was in the green room at the comedy mix and it was like full of comics and people were saying congrats and stuff and this one guy comic who everybody loves said in front of everyone like, oh, you got homegrown? That's cool. Yeah, well, I guess they do. They need a girl in that, like in front of everybody. And I was like, wow, like this was not that long ago. This is like, you know, six years ago or seven years ago or something like this is not a different time. Like this is like this is the same culture as the, you know, Miss Maisel. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Like, why is this? And then like nobody laughed or anything, obviously. And. And after the show was over, he was like, hey, sorry, I'm, I'm, you know, probably on the spectrum or something. Like, he said one of those things. And I'm like, well, you know, that's true. But still, you should 
this is the thing it's like have you did you see the whole debate about like um inner monologues versus no inner monologues no like everybody okay so like when you live your life do you hear kind of yourself narrating all day or no uh a little bit yeah i have a good i have a monitor going on in there quite often yeah yeah. 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 Okay. Well, like some people do, some people don't. So, like, I don't, I don't, like, I don't hear really any, I don't hear anything in my head. And, you know, some have suggested that's just because I'm dumb, but, you know, it, it, the jury's still out. Um, <laughs> what? But, but this is the thing. It's like most people do have an inner monologue. So it always shocks me when people like that say really rude things because it's like you had, you had time to run it by yourself first and you still decided to go with it. You okayed it. Yeah, you're right. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I, I often think that's where mindfulness comes in. Like that's where it's helped me a lot is the ability to be in a moment and feel something and rather than be reactive in that moment to stop and go, okay, that's weird that I feel that in my head. That's weird that I feel that. Oh, at, I lost you again. Oh, you lost me? Uh-oh. I can see you. I can hear you. Are you still there? Has it been, is it gone? Hello? Okay, you're back. Okay, so I lost you at uh, rather than be reactive. Right. So when I feel something, if something comes up, I can, instead of being reactive of it in the moment, I can go, okay, well, that's a weird that I feel anxious or nervous or whatever. And so pause it and kind of step back from it. So now I'm actually watching myself, if that makes any sense. I'm not just in the emotion yeah. reacting. I can go, okay, that annoyed me and why did it annoy me whereas before i wouldn't have done that so i feel like that's the benefit of being a little bit mindful and i mean it's an everyday thing and you have to be conscious of it all the time but um i often think with comedians in general it's just their own anxiety quite often just projected onto you like any kind of success that you may have it's someone else basically saying i didn't get it or i have not got a break yeah. lately and so that's their way of saying that to you in not so many words well, yeah, totally. And like pretty much every time somebody is mean to you or says something weird like that, like you can always trace it back to one of their insecurities or like something that's going on with them. Like it's rare that someone's being mean to you for any reason other than an issue that's not at all related to you. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, like you can be aware of that so you can not let it hurt you. But like, you know, it doesn't mean you have to hang out with those people. Like, yeah, like definitely you can choose people that are more aware of their issues yeah for sure i think that's such a big thing too especially in stand-up i think is that you know trying to surround yourself with people who are positive and people who can genuinely be happy for you because you know if other people are just projecting their anxiety or they're hard done by like oh i didn't get that thing that you just got or how come you know and i i for a while i I wouldn't share anything with other comedians for a long time. I just shared it with people outside of stand-up because they could genuinely be happy for you if something good happened. Because if you shared it with someone yeah. in the comedy world, they're like, when did you get that? How'd you find out, Sophie? Did you get an email? Did they email you? What did you find out? Was it today? I'm going to check my email. Like, what is it? Do you know? Is it all picked yet? You're like, how about just congratulations? Like, how about just like, well done. I'm happy for you. That's all you got to say. Yeah. And then you can say the other shit to somebody else. You can go to someone else and go, can you believe? And go ahead. Talk about me behind my back. I don't care. But to my face. You're going to go just instant, what yeah. about me? What about me? For You know? Oh, totally. And you only find out who those people are as soon as you face any kind of success. And it's always so shocking because you get something and then you tell them. And then they're like, yeah, like, oh, I'm just going to check my email and see if I got it too. And you're like, what? That's how you're reacting? And like, 
I think it also might be an only child thing a little bit because like our parents probably just hyped us up so much because we're their only shot, you know? Right, right. So we're used to people being genuinely excited and proud of us. So we know what that feels like. So, you know, when it's not there, you're like, but you could just be happy for me. Yeah, um, I know. Yeah. And like, it, it is so weird. But I did hear about this thing that's like a lot of friendships are about trauma bonds. So yes. if you're like both in a bad place, that bonds you and then when you're breaking out of it they feel like the bond that you guys have your relationship based on is broken yep i agree i think it, it changes the dynamic a little bit and people are like now there's an imbalance and they're kind of mm -hmm. like well why are you moving on to greener pastures while i'm still doing horrible bars in you know the middle of nowhere and it's like well yeah, and you're like baby baby i'm doing horrible bars too yeah yeah don't get me wrong <laughs> well, 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 isn't that isn't that the irony of it all it's like it's not like <laughs> yeah. Life instantly changes and you're like, well, goodbye, everybody. I'm leaving this place. It's like, no, I'll be back next week. So I'll be back next week and I'm going to have a bad set. So maybe check yeah. yourself. I'm just coming back with a lanyard I didn't have before. So <laughs> uh, let's not, let's hold a parade there. Like, yeah, you know, but. Now when, now when people make a comedy poster with me on it, it, it the amount of logos on it is going to be so busy that people are not going to want to come to the show. <laughs> It's so much going on. Like, what is what festival didn't she? I don't who. Oh my god, comedy posters are some of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. Like, my friend is like my best friend is in um, you know music promotion and stuff, and she will sometimes just send me comedy posters that I'm tagged in, and she's like, "Why is it so busy? Why is the postal code on it? Like, it's so <laughs> this much information." Is somebody <laughs> mailing? Someone's mailing something to the venue, and they'd like to excuse. And doors door price you know like the email address like it's the facts if you need to fax them something like it's insane yeah it's amazing there's a lot of obstacles with marketing in general i remember like especially when i first started how many times my name was spelled wrong and it's like oh, man yeah. like this guy's known me 10 years and it's like you didn't even <laughs> you didn't even proofread that thing before you sent it out the door it's like who's trevor mclaren i don't know is he on the show because i used to be on it did he take my spot because I'm not on the show anymore, apparently, according to your poster. Like, it was, like, amazing. I once had to perform, actually, in Ottawa at the National Arts Center where my, I was standing on stage and they had, like, your name behind you with your photo. And my name was spelled wrong on the thing behind me while I'm performing in front of, like, 2,500 people. I'm That's like, so funny. we're not changing that or we're just going to leave that up? Oh, my up? God. There was one time that, like, okay, so my headshots are so old. Like, I was, like, um, emailing with your um, producer or, yeah. like, yeah. Carolyn, yeah. Center. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, she was, like, okay, can you send over a headshot? And I was, like, my, my most recent, like, high-res photo is my album cover, right? So I yeah. have my clothes and I'm, like, holding stuff. So she was like, oh, do you have anything else? And I was like, looking at my headshot this morning. And I was like, I just, I'm, I'm just not a teen anymore. And I just have to like look in the mirror and have that realization because I did this show where they have your headshot behind you. And I was like looking at my headshot and I was like, people can tell that this is no longer who I am. <laughs> I'm up here trying to be vulnerable while clearly I'm actually not being vulnerable yeah. because I have an old headshot. I, I felt... Know, I, I there's just like this mentality about headshots. They're like, if I don't get new ones, I'll never age. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a good adage, actually. Like, no, I'm that age forever. That's me. <laughs> I found my original headshots going through old photos, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, what was I? <laughs> I was trying to be super cool. And, like, there's one where I have, like, a, I'm popping my collar. And I'm like, oh. I wouldn't go see that guy. <laughs> I, I'd be like, who? 
What? Like, yeah, it was horrible. Oh, this, guy, this guy's got jokes about fucking ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this guy. I'm cool. I drive a Honda CRV. And I'm proud of that. So I got a I love Alberta beef bumper sticker. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Read it and weep. So, I actually didn't know about those bumper stickers until recently. You live in Alberta, right? Yeah, I'm in Calgary here now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, do you have one of those stickers? I do not have one of those stickers. Okay, so people from other provinces like won't believe this because like my friend that's, you know, in music, she's from Calgary. Yep. And she was telling me about how these I love Alberta beef stickers are everywhere. And I'm like that's insane that it's a province based off of beef, like just plain beef too. Like it's not even like, <laughs> they just love beef. And then we were like laughing so hard because, okay, so it's kind of, it's not a super long story, but she was like, um, was this guy asked her out and she wasn't really sure if she wanted to go. And I was like, well, why don't just suggest tapas then? Because you know, that's quick in and out, just a couple little yum yum and then you can leave. And then she like didn't know what tapas was that I was, I was like, really? Like, that's shocking. And she's like, well, I'm from Alberta. And I was like, okay, okay. Like, true. And then I was like, we were talking about it. And then she was like, yeah, I can't see this, like, really taking off in Alberta. We're, we're, we only like big portions. We don't really fuck with that. Like, little portion <laughs> European. Like, the antithesis of everything we're going for. Yeah, right. It's not, those portions are not quite big enough for us here. It's like, every portion is a steak. It's like, ah, tapas. <laughs> but everything, this is an eight-ounce porterhouse. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a full chicken breast. That's another thing. I mean, that could be a sketch too, like Alberta tapas place. <laughs> that would be hilarious, actually. That would be really, really funny. Um, yeah, there's a, there's, I don't know. It's such a weird time right now too, and I just like, like even with this U.S. election coming up, like I almost feel like, like America's almost this pimple that's like just growing and growing with pressure. And it's a yeah. basically just about to explode. It's about to pop. And I just, I try not to watch the news as much now because I know we'll get into it clearly once we get back to the show. And I'm like, I'll just be, you know, you're immersed in it all the time. But right now I'm trying to take a bit of a hiatus from social media. Like I haven't posted in weeks and I'm just trying to just try and cleanse myself a little bit before I get right into the muck of it again, you know? Like, yeah. I don't know. How to say that. I mean, I feel like we're fully watching an empire fall, like Rome fell, you know? And like, this is like, this is how it happens. Like, like America's weak point as an empire has always been healthcare and not taking care of their poor people, basically, which is mm. like, it's not that we're, we take care of our poor people great in Canada, but we have healthcare. So that mm -hmm. covers like a lot of those bases. Yep. And like a global pandemic with Donald Trump as a leader is just like an absolute perfect storm for the biggest economy in the world falling apart. Oh, it's amazing. And during all this to go on as well during an election year is just like what a colossal perfect storm, as you said. You're like, how is this going to unfold? And even if he loses, he's not going to take it gracefully. He's going to hang on and try and say there was – he's already set it up that there was you know, fraudulent voting or there will be. And so yeah. it's just going to be well, an ugly stretch. Yeah, and I saw this thing about how like he's all about misinformation, right, mm -hmm. and disinformation. Oh my god, yeah. So I was watching this news this morning and someone said disinformation and I thought they were being like disinformation. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta drop this information for you, man. Yeah, okay. Donald Trump loves disinformation. This is information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but because that's like his main thing, if there if there is gonna be a lot of voting by mail, it's gonna be all like basically all Joe Biden stuff, but because it is gonna trickle in days and weeks after the election. 
on the day of the election, it's going to look like a Donald Trump landslide. And like, you don't think that he's going to like capitalize on that? Like, of course right. he is. Like he's going to, he's going to create such a frenzy of, oh yeah, we won. He's going to declare victory, you know? Yeah. And so it's like so scary. And like, I saw this like democratic voter person, um, like the, that's like part of like mail-in voting and stuff. And even he was being like, oh, just like, if you can brave it, just go and vote in person because like, the mail like they're doing everything they can to make mail-in voting as inconvenient as possible right yeah it's it's a weird time and then it goes against your values if you're someone who's like well i don't want to be in crowds of people and whatever but you're like you're almost forced to do the thing that you think is wrong just to do the right thing and i'm like it just yeah, yeah, it's just it's such a, it's a real moral conundrum yeah so it's kind of like I don't know. I just feel like, and I've talked to friends who have been in, in um, Canadian friends who are living in the U.S. currently, and they just said like it, the stress of like just the disinformation. <laughs> no, I can't stop laughing when I say that. Uh, the misinformation, <laughs> the, the disinformation, and um, but he's like, you know, like people waited months and months for like any kind of support from the government, any kind of financial, you know, support. So like, of course people were pushing to get back to work. Cause they're like, I don't, I don't have any money to pay my bills. I don't have any money to pay my rent. And you've been so slow off the mark to get this stuff out. Like, so again, it was going against what people really believe, but they're like, I got to eat. I got kids. I got, so at least in Canada, it wasn't perfect, but like within days, the government was able to like put money in people's hands and say, okay, like here, just, just to get you through. Whereas in America, it seemed like it was just more of a shit show and just kind of like, well, we don't, Trump wants his names on the checks. Like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> we don't have time to I actually. Know, I, can... I mean, I don't know how they're, I mean, obviously because they opened up, but I don't know how they're getting by with just that one $1,200 check. Like, like I'm, I've am i been getting Serb. Like, I've been getting the, yep. I've been telling people I'm Serbian. Ah, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Yes, Serbian. I get it. But, I get it. But even with it, even with that, like, I feel like it's not enough, like. Yeah. 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 And it's like, if you looked at that in comparison to what's happening in America, you're, they'd be like, what? Like I've seen Americans react to what's going on up here. And they're like, well, you guys are getting two grand a month. And it's like literally in your account in days. It's like, yeah, yeah. it's like, I've been waiting eight weeks for it. I checked the mailbox every day for eight weeks, nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, Wow, harsh. Um, well, I wanna, honestly, Trudeau, Trudeau's doing a good job. Oh, yeah, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, um, I want to touch on this because I don't want to forget. You are a Juno Award winner. Huh? Yeah. How, how does that feel for your, uh, is it Little Bit of Buttle is the name of the album? And, uh, yeah, yeah, it feels good. <laughs> I would imagine it feels good. Like, I would think, like, in Canada especially, like, that is such an iconic award the junos in general and to be like you're the first female recipient of a juno award in the comedy category um how did you find out was it a goal of yours like were you kind of like it was something you wanted to do like a kind of bucket list thing walk me through that a little bit no so i i really wasn't expecting to be nominated or to win um i put out an album because i've been doing stand-up for 10 years or something and i had all these jokes i was sitting on and I really wanted to kind of move on because I feel like I felt like I was really changing as a comedian, but you know, I didn't want to just throw all that stuff out. So I figured, you know, do an album, have it all on the record. I can look back fondly on my, you know, beginning years in comedy also get like, you know, radio residuals checks to get some, get some mm -hmm. money flowing, get some passive income, learning mm -hmm. about passive income these days. Very, very important. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and so I put it out and then, 
like really didn't think anything would happen, got nominated. And I was like stoked on that. And then, um, you know, was really milking the nomination because I really didn't think I was going to win. So the nomination was my period of like, right now, nothing can go wrong. Like in this period, it's like, I am a nominee like everybody else. I could win. Yeah. I could lose. Suck my boobs. You know what I mean? Like feeling good. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you get it. I get it. Um, and then, so when, when the Junos were going to actually happen, I was like at the airport in line to board, I was boarding next. And I got this text from, uh, from a producer that I was like, I was going to do Q while I was there doing the live Q. So a producer from Q texted me and she was like, don't get on the plane. And I was like, this is the most dramatic text I've ever gotten. You have my full attention, you know, like, why is there a bomb? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she was like, it, the Junos just got canceled. They haven't announced it yet, but I know that you were like coming in right now. So I thought I might be able to catch you. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is so, this is, it's kind of cool. Like it's, you know, it's all moving so fast. So I went up to the lady, like, and she thought I was just scanning my ticket to go on the plane. And I was like, actually, no, I'm not going to get on this plane. And she was like, why? And I was like, it's none of your fucking business. Why, lady? Wow. Go get, get my plain black bag from the luggage, please. No ribbon, nothing. Please go find it. You know, it's obviously nicer than that. But it's like, obviously took a while. Really yeah. made me realize get a more distinct bag. Um, and then they like pulled it off for me. And I, you know, stayed home. And then I kind of thought that the Junos were just going to be canceled. Because they didn't say they were going to do anything about it. So then I was like really leaning into the nomination. I was like, I would have won, you know, it's just really, just really, um, really just going off. And then they announced that they were going to do a virtual event. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> yeah. the party's over. <laughs> there will be an actual like, winner. You're like, ah, oh, damn it. Oh, I knew it. You can't have anything, you know? Can't yeah, have anything. <laughs> exactly. And then, <laughs> well, yeah. And then the day that it was streaming, I was like, I guess I was nervous or something. So it was like during the award ceremony when I go took a shower, cause we're all just at home, you know? So when I took a shower and came back out and my phone is such a piece of shit, like old phone. So I picked it up and my phone was really hot because I had gotten a bunch of messages. And I was like, this is like such a nice moment. Like I knew as soon as I picked it up and it was hot, that like is a good sign. That your and career then, was hot. You knew your career was hot yeah. based on the temperature of your phone. I get what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah, my career was as hot as my iPhone 6. <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> Canadian entertainment, you know? That's how it works. We don't get every new phone. <laughs> no, why would we? we this one works what kind of fine. Phone do you have? I just got the. I have a 10, I think. And that was like going from. Whoa. That was like going from like dial up internet to like. <laughs> high speed because i was like this is it's got two cameras and because i was using the i was using the se before and people were just yeah. making fun of it like dude what is wrong with you i'm like no, well it's just and the only reason i got the upgrade is because i was due clearly but also the battery wasn't charging as quick on my se and i was like okay i actually have to put this thing to sleep but i still have it yeah. like it's still in my in my room it's like, so funny i mean i um my battery is like totally shot. Like people, all my friends make fun of me because I'm the friend that's like, I'm texting people wherever we're supposed to meet. And I'm like, hey, FYI, my phone is going to die, but like plan's still on. Like going to meet you there <laughs> still. Like don't worry. Like if people are, if I'm going to somebody's place, I'm like, hey, I'll be there in 15 minutes in case my phone dies. Like, and I was like trying to write a joke about how like, because of this like low battery lifestyle I lead, 
all of my nude pictures I take, it's always a first take because like you just gotta like take it and fire it off, you know? So like they're always blurry, like never good. Like you just like gotta get it out there, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All your messages are just photos and uh, emojis. You're like, I don't have the juice for words. Yeah, I don't, I just thumbs up. I got yeah. a happy face. I mean, yeah. I don't got time. Like sexting and stuff, it's always just like, yeah, you like that? That's good. You know, are you finished? Yeah. All one message, like full of spelling errors. Like, yeah, like, totally. No. You're amazing. Yeah, exactly. Just trying to save the juice here, bud. Just <laughs> trying to save. They're the like, juice. can I get a little bit more foreplay? And I'm like, there's no, there's no battery for that. I, I I'm on yellow right now. Uh, <laughs> I there's no time for any kind of play, and it's just dead, automatically dead. People. <laughs> People think you ghost them all the time. It's like, no, I swear to God, I, I my phone died. Yeah. My phone died. Yeah. It's a great excuse <laughs> for anything. Oh, it's an amazing moment. And like to to feel that, to get that feeling of, of, of yeah, I just won this thing. And it's it's the Junos. Like, it's not just like you won a, you know, next top comic in the city, funniest person with a day job contest. It's like you won a Juno award, like regardless of what happens in the rest of your career. It's like you have that thing now. It's amazing. It's incredible. Yeah, totally. And like, I literally have never won anything in my life before. So this is pretty sick. And like, obviously in comedy, there's not a ton of opportunities to get trophies for your parents. So, you know, it's like pretty nice for my mom. She got one. She's been taking it on the road with her. Her and her, my, her and my stepdad, you know, went to like Quebec for the weekend and brought it and, you know, was taking pictures, like showing the guy at the gas station. And I'm like, well, you know, sounds like he's proud of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That is amazing. It's like, you know, what's funny is like when you're in the bubble of a comedy career, I feel like, you know, you have social media and you kind of gauge who knows about you or doesn't know about you based on interactions on social and stuff. But then yeah. you, you're, you realize that. For the people that know you, when you're doing this and you're having some level of success, there's all these people that might not necessarily have interaction with you on a daily basis that are kind of always watching from a distance. And then you only know once you meet them in person, they're like, hey, it's been following you for a long time. And I remember I was your teacher in grade six. And all those moments I find to me even more special because you don't have that daily contact with them, but you just don't think you're having an impact on their lives. But quite often you are, right? Yeah, it's like really cool. And it's also cool to like go to different cities and have kind of like newer comics like you and think that you're cool. And like, I remember one time I was like somewhere, might have even been Winnipeg and someone was like, well, you're Sophie Bottle. And then I was like, I've been Sophie Bottle, you know, like I've been here the whole time. So for me, it's like, yeah, yeah. you know, like for, you have experienced your whole life, you know, so it's like, you don't feel like, you know, you, you're aware of your own everything but you don't figure anybody else is watching and like everyone is always saying like yeah don't worry about what other people are watching everyone's just worried about themselves they don't know you they don't notice you yeah. and like i've told myself that for so long which i think has helped me because i've always felt like nobody's watching me um and then you know you find out some people are and you're like oh better you know delete a couple tweets <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly oh, you saw that okay oh, i'm gonna take that down yeah, yeah that's yeah. my bad <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a crazy, crazy life. Like I can't, and I think you do have to be certain, have a certain wiring and DNA to be able to navigate this career and um, to go with the uncertainty of it, and also to take some joy out of it. Like that's something I really tried to focus on the last bunch of years. It's like, and even during this pandemic of that pause of like, man, like is it everything I'm doing does it make me happy? Like does it serve me? And if I'm not happy with it, what aspect of it would I change? And um, 
But I had to stop and pause and really do that because I think this is an amazing career and you can have an amazing life. But if you don't appreciate it, you don't appreciate it. And you're always looking over the fence and who got that and how come I didn't get that thing. And you can go into that, you know, that that um, mindset pretty quickly. So I think the yeah. biggest thing is to try and be happy the whole time. And it's not always easy. Yeah. And like, I like definitely the best advice is like not to compare your careers to others because like everyone's on their own journey and stuff and just like really focus in on like other people's bodies that you wish you had, because like, that's just like, a, it's like a lot more fun to spend your day being like, Oh, I like, you know, I'll never have abs like that. And then, you know, then you go and then you're like, well, that's, I better have a good career then because you know, my ass is never going to look like that. So just like really, you know, really commit to like, if you need to look in the other, the other side of the fence, like have it be something um, that it's never going to be achievable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. You know. <laughs> no, I think you're right. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I get, I remember when Robin Williams passed away like that. You know, you don't know these celebrities, obviously. I mean, part of you feels like you know them just because you know all their work. But that really messed me up. Like what I've heard of his passing, I just thought like, man, that guy's like so talented. There's nothing that guy can't do. That guy's had an amazing career. And if that guy got to a point where he wasn't happy, that like really shook me up, I think. Whereas like, oh, so all the talent in the world doesn't necessarily make you content in life or happy. And I, I just know I went to a really weird place where I started just asking those questions about just trying to be happy at a daily basis and appreciating small things. I mean, from like landing safely after a flight, you know, being like, wow, that's something to be grateful for, you know, like just taking that moment to appreciate stuff. Cause before I was always like, okay, next, next, next. And I think part of that is being self-employed, you know, like we always are, our mind is trained to like, I got to think about the next gig. I got to book dates. I got to, I got to get this thing. We, so it's harder to be in the moment. I don't know if you've had that struggle of like, you know, just, can I sit in this right now and fully appreciate this Juno moment and winning this? Or am I already, that's short lived and I'm already thinking about, okay, well, what am I doing next? Yeah, well, I don't know. I think I I have always tried to, you know, live in the moment and like I'm I'm not really a, I'm not really a planner and like I have like a I'm sure you have like a manager like mm -hmm. like once once I had the point where I could get kind of like a little team like all of the stuff that I felt like was really bogging me down, you know, worried about worrying about the next gig and answering some emails and filling out some forms, forms for me at the worst like like once, once you have someone that can kind of cover the things that absolutely drain the life out of you, I think it's like, you can be truly free because, you know, when other people are also relying on you making money to have money, like that's an incentive for them to, um, you know, get you gigs and, and stuff like that. So I feel like there is a point where everything becomes a lot easier. Um, and yeah, like just like living in the moment, I, I don't, I, I don't feel like, I, I jump around that much. Like, I think that, and you know, maybe it's from years of pot and stuff that I can't get too far from just like what's right here. Mm -hmm. But like, I do feel like I'm living in the moment and, you know, experiencing. And, and that's like, that's like one thing that I, I find I'm drawn, very drawn to in other people too. Is like when you can tell someone's like present in the moment and like, I feel that you really have that. Like, I feel like when you're in the room, like you're in the room and like, not everybody has that. And maybe that's something that you've trained yourself to do with mindfulness and stuff, but it's like, people do pick up on that. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's, it's 
Well, I've always hated when you get together with someone you haven't seen, and so you and I get together for coffee, and you're like, yeah, cool. And then, like, literally the whole time, I'm like, yeah, and, oh, that's yeah, right. No. So did you go to the thing? And I'm like, yeah. I, I get it. Like, people have shit they have to do, but I'm also like, like if we're going to take the time to actually physically get together, like, be here. Like, be here right now. And I that's – people are addicted. Know, to and it. then I feel so – I feel so like old when I'm like, get off your phone. Like I'm like, I feel like a boomer being like, Ooh, who are you, who are you texting? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I feel like that, that direct contact is something we all need. Like I think we're pack animals and I feel we need that connection. You're reading body language, you're reading facial expressions. Like you need that direct eye contact to a certain degree. I have no problem with someone. Oh, I, sorry. I got to take this text real quickly. Like I have no problem with that. Oh, yeah, but, of but, you know, it's that just constant, like, you're kind of in the room, but you're kind of not in the room. And I'm like, I just, I would just rather not be there then. Like, just text me later. I don't know. But I, yeah. I, so I'm, I'm a bit of a stickler, which is kind of the reason why I wanted to have the podcast, to be honest, was just like, I want to bring back just the feeling of having normal conversations with people and being in the moment and not being distracted by TVs and cell phones and all that stuff. So that's what I think the beauty of podcasting it, is. It's also... I have a podcast too, and I need to get you on the podcast too. I haven't yeah. been doing Zoom things, but like when we're um, both yeah. in town. Yep. But I think it's also an only child thing to just be like, now you have to give me your full attention for <laughs> one hour. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> you have to be my friend for one whole hour. <laughs> it's only me from here on out. It's like, yeah, mm, it's me. yeah. <laughs> okay, that's freaking me out, quite frankly. Um, yeah. But you're right. Some people can't make eye contact. Some people just that inability to to be vulnerable and be in the moment and so you don't you sometimes you don't even feel that connection even when you're sitting across from them which i think is kind of sad but that's just it people are at different stages all right well this has been awesome but i'm going to wrap this up with this last question that i've i've asked most of my guests i can't say all my guests because i think there's been a few episodes where i haven't done it (laughs) um and i set this up by saying this was a question that was asked to me at a at my last day job that i had and uh it was a question that really made me think and I was like, okay, well, if I ever get a chance to ask questions to people, I'm going to ask that question. So the question is this, Sophie Buttle, what is a misperception people may have about you? And then what is the actual truth? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I'm sure that what's hard about that for me is like self-awareness, like figuring out, you know, what even people think about me because I don't know. Um, I don't know, and I don't really think about it very often, but I mean, I mean, as of right now, I think people probably assume that I've had a lot of success in my career and, you know, 90% of it, like, you know, I, I, before this, before the Juno, I've had nine years of just absolutely nothing. And like, not only nothing, like like being very held back I feel compared to like my male counterparts and you know when I was like um I was like before I was with Yuck Yucks I was like independent and my home comedy club they made me like co-middle like not even full middle like 10 times and then um I you know I middled 50 times or something and asked a headline and then they just said basically flat out no so that's why I switched to Yuck Yuck so that I could even be a headliner and it's like it's not like it's a lot of money it's you know 100 150 bucks a show like it's not a, it's not a money thing it's like a respect thing and you also like even if you're like a good middle like it, it takes uh somebody taking a chance on you to give you that more time and give you that time to build up a headline set and 
I feel like, yeah, I feel like I've, I've been very held back in my career. Not only have I not experienced like ongoing success, like I feel like it's been extra hard for me. So I, that's, I think, probably the best answer I can come up with. Yeah, no, it's a great answer. And I think it's interesting because when you're in the comedy club circuit, it's all about being chosen. You know, like it's you're waiting for someone to choose you, tell you how much time you're going to do, how much money you're going to make, what shows you're going to do. So even though you're kind of self-employed, you're kind of not. You're waiting for this other person who may think you're awesome or may not. And it's like it could be heartbreaking because it, it feels like you're not in control of it. You're just like, okay, well, I that set was undeniable and it went really, really well. And I've had awesome sets every time I've played there, but they still don't see you as that next thing. And so you're like, is this ever going to happen? Like, am I, am I missing something? Yeah. And it's so weird. It's so weird, especially as like starting so young. It's like when there were guys that started that young too, and everyone was like, whoa, that is so cool. They started so young. Like we should go and help them. But for me, I feel like I've been seen as just like this teenage girl still you know, probably because my headshots, but you know, but like, you know, wise right. too. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, this is definitely, you're like, I like how you've just full circle and traced everything back to, ah, oh, it's the headshots. I've got to get more, we need to get business headshots. <laughs> yes, very serious, very mature. Wearing a suit, but popping the collar. Awesome. Full circle. Yeah, pop that collar like Sophie Buttle, everybody. What's up? <laughs> Uh, well, it was awesome talking to you. It's uh, unfortunate that I won't see you in Halifax this year because of the way the world is working, but maybe that'll change at some point. Yeah, um, they might they might bring us in, you know, later in the in the first half if writing from home is not going well. So trying to hit that perfect balance of like doing a good enough job that I get extended, but like making it inconvenient enough that they need me to come in. <laughs> <laughs> walk in the line walk in the line yeah yeah, yeah for sure well uh take care say hello to mace for me and uh hopefully we'll talk again soon this is fun yeah thank you so much for having me All right, kids, that's it. That's the uh, that's episode 56 of uh, TGP. Thank you so much for listening. Do not forget to subscribe. Please do so um, and tell your friends all about it. Share the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Got another fantastic episode lined up for you next week with Mr. Steve Patterson. Um, so, yeah, have a fantastic week. Be safe. Be smart. And uh, we'll see you next week on the Generation Podcast. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.